Welcome to the Victorious Souls Podcast with self-love coach, Danielle Burnock. Things happen in our lives that make us feel powerless. But Danielle believes that anyone can become a victorious soul by reclaiming what belongs to them, their value, their belovedness, and their God-given superpower. The Victorious Souls Podcast is dedicated to empowering you to rise up, reclaim, and embrace the change from survive to thrive as a victorious soul through the power of love. And now, here's that lady on the internet who loves you, Danielle. Hello, good afternoon. I am so excited to share someone with you today in another live interview. Me, Danielle Burnock from DanielleBurnock.com. Love yourself from Survive to Thrive, that lady on the internet who loves you. And I want you to thrive in life. That's why I do these interviews. And today I have with you Connie Lawson. She is a speaker and also a survivor of medical trauma. And she's Got a different story than a couple of other people that I've had on here. It's really profound what she's been through, and I can't wait for you to meet her and hear her story. Her story started way back when she was a little kid. So here comes Connie. Welcome, Connie. Thank you so much for being with me today and my live interview with you with my audience sharing your story. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's truly a privilege. Your show is reaching so many people for the good, and I am so glad to get to be a part of that. Yes, I'm just, thank you. Oh, I mentioned to the people that, you know, you're a survivor of medical trauma, and it started way back when you were a kid. Yes. But before that happened, you had told me that you had like this calling to speak. What was what was that about? And how did you feel called to speak before all of the fallout happened? Well, I just remember being a very, very little girl and always having this um, kind of a sense inside of myself that I wanted to help people. And mm -hmm. um, there would be different people, you know, whether it be at school or at church or in my family that I would they would be having some type of problem and it would just be this overwhelming desire that I wanted to help them walk through that even as a little girl. And so um, it, abnormal as it was, because typically when you're a little kid, you don't seek out other children with disabilities or other children that are, you know, um, poorer than you or look different than you. But that's just what I did. I just had this sense that I was supposed to help people. And I loved to go and make friends wherever I was. I would always go up to complete strangers and I would pull them in and we would be playing imaginary games. I was very bossy, but I still love to make <laughs> friends. So um, it was just something that I knew that I wanted to do. And then when I got sick, everybody kind of thought, well, you know, dreams are dying, you know, and, and. We have to make new plans, but, you know, you can't go and do that being in the state that you're at. And I kind of, I just helped, I held the faith. I, I had to believe, um, maybe I had to believe it because life was so miserable or, you know, because I needed something to hold on to, but I just kept believing and pushing forward that someday I was going to tell my story and I was going to help other people. 
to feel empowered to tell their story. That's really cool. As a little kid seeking out other kids and doing stuff like that, that is, that's really kind of cool. And like you said, it's not like every child is like that. So it is, it's evidence. But then you got this, this diagnosis when you were 11 years old. Um, What led to that diagnosis? What, what happened that you even got diagnosed with anything at all? Well, it was super, uh, it's a super tricky story, um, but I'm going to try to to tell it as as plainly as I can. So before I was 11 years old, I was an overachiever. I would say I was, you know, straight A's in school, all through elementary school. I was on the track team. I was part of, um, I I won national awards for my writing in uh, fifth grade. I, you know, was... Uh, Juliet in the school play and I was you know the main star in church plays so my point being is I was overly normal and I was you know everything was working properly I was you know a very bubbly happy girl no evidence in my life of anything mental uh mental challenges mental illness going on mm-hmm. and then at age 11 I got repeated strep infections. I got three Mm. strep infections. And despite taking antibiotics, I would keep getting it again. And it would be very, very, very high fevers and just very terrible strep. And I got that three times in a row over the course of three months. And then after that third strep infection, I was a different person. Wow. And so pretty much overnight, I became so plagued by anxiety and obsessive compulsive uh, thoughts. And I had um, different behaviors where like I would sit on the floor and rock back and forth just repetitively without any prompting just and I wouldn't be able to stop. And wow. so my mom is an amazing mother. Most people don't have the privilege of having a mom that's awesome like mine, but she was one <laughs> nice of those- plug for mom. There's some people have great moms. Yes. Everybody does. Yes. So shout out to the good moms. Yes. <laughs> but she was one of those moms that she did research and she, you know, I've learned a lot from my mom, but one of the, the big things that I've seen is that even in the face of great adversity, my mom would pray and she would do everything that she could physically do. And we were not wealthy when I was growing up. We were actually quite poor, um, we, you know, on government insurance at that time. My mom was just trying to get her teaching degree. We had recently moved to Oklahoma City, our family of four, uh, from Illinois. And my dad was a teacher. And so she was doing research like crazy. And she came across something called PANDAS. And PANDAS is an acronym, and it stands for Pediatric Autoimmune Neuropsychiatric Disorder Associated with Streptococcus. And streptococcus is the strep virus. And this was in the early 90s. And at this time, PANDAS was just beginning to be recognized in the medical community. And so what that means is there were a select handful of doctors that knew what it was and believed that it existed. But on a whole, it wasn't widely accepted as a thing. And so for this to be diagnosed as what it actually was, um, was difficult at that time because of where we lived and because we had government insurance. So we weren't able to go to... um, 
I'm, I guess I'll just call it what is better care, you know, where you could pay more money. So, um, so way back when you were 11, your mom found that. Yes. So how did you get diagnosed with the schizophrenia? How did it go? I mean, your mom found that, but then you got this other diagnosis for so long. How did that happen? Because the, the, the thing about pandas is it's a P so it's a pediatric autoimmune disorder. So it only affects children. And I pulled up something here on my phone on healthline.com. It's a reputable site. You can Google pandas for anyone that's going, okay, well, she's nuts. <laughs> and you will find, but this is what, uh, this is what healthline.com says about pandas. It says that it can be caused due to a faulty immune response to the strep infection. Strep bacteria in your body is particularly good at hiding from your immune system. They're able to mask themselves with molecules that look similar to normal molecules found in your body. And so your immune system eventually catches on that you have strep, but it actually starts to attack your body's own tissue and it attacks in the brain. And then that is what causes these symptoms that take on the life of mental illness. But the difference with pandas is that it's basically overnight. So I went from a healthy, normal 11-year-old to one that was riddled with anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, and things like rolling on the floor and not being able to stop uh, different emotional things. And that happened basically overnight. And so, of course, in the distress of that, I'm taken to a psychiatrist and my mom tells the psychiatrist what she's found and the onset of my symptoms. And the psychiatrist basically says, lady, is she schizophrenic? Stop trying to pretend that, you know, it's not, uh, let's just call it what it is. And so my mom was faced with, she took me to several different doctors and she tried to get them to entertain her ideas. And she relays the story to me now all these years later as some of them listened, but nobody took her seriously. And so the ones that didn't just basically shut her up from the beginning, they weren't ever intending to um, do research of their own. And so I actually was just formally diagnosed as schizophrenic. And you say, well, why would your mom let that happen? Here's the thing. When you have a child that's suffering and you've done everything you can do and you know they need help, regardless of if it's the right diagnosis or not, you know they need help. You're standing alone in this issue that you haven't tread in before. You don't know what you're doing. You do the best that you can with what you have. And so, you know, she really was basically forced to go along with it. You either accept this and we treat your daughter or you don't and you stand alone and you deal with it by yourself. And so it was a very difficult place to be put in. Um, But it did. It, it, It basically at 11 years old put me into the mental health system and I stayed there. Um, and my prognosis was not good. Um, you know, I was determined a failure to thrive. I spent many, many years on um, heavy, heavy, heavy medication. And um, essentially, I look at it as I stopped developing and growing mentally around age 11 um, for the next 17 years because of all of the heavy drugs. And so I didn't know how to function. You know, I I didn't end up getting to go to school. I didn't end up getting to go to prom. I didn't, you know, in that period of time, because I thought I had a mental illness, I was sterilized. So I couldn't have children. 
Um, they don't do that anymore. It's it's crazy how I miss the mark on certain things being recognized by just a few years or even months. But you know, they won't sterilize a woman now. Like I have a friend that has some issues with endometriosis and like she wants it. And they're like, nope, nope, we're not doing that. You might want a baby later. And so, but for me at age, you know, 25, I was sterilized, um, a permanent sterilization. And I lived believing for so many years that I was mentally ill. And I want to take kind of a sidestep and say, being mentally ill isn't a bad thing. Like it isn't, it doesn't affect anyone's worth at all. all. And that is, I am so passionate about that because I, I lived as it, but I also began to identify with it. And it's one thing to have um, a disability, to have something that is wrong, which a mental illness is a disability. It is no different than diabetes or cancer or the loss of a limb, but it gets viewed a lot differently because you act funny and you're not, you know, super there and your thoughts are off and your emotions are wonky, but you are a person of worth and value regardless of an emotional struggle. And so through my struggle, I have learned that there is such beauty in the, the places of pain that we spend time in, you know, the seasons of darkness, the, of depression, of anxiety, of not clear thoughts, these things that I have gone through so horrible as they were, I would never trade them because they have created me to be the woman that I am today. The woman that has a fire and a passion, um, that to help people. I had it when I was little, but going through what I experienced has given me a platform and an understanding to connect with people in a very, very real way. Right. You have an insight that someone who has just not just, I don't want to use someone who has a a lot of compassion for someone with mental health issues and someone who Mm -hmm. really cares about it a lot, but they have never experienced it. You have an inside view of that that is very unique and and very powerful. And then I I can't even imagine you mentioned your mom. I mean, she had this at the beginning and I know I didn't ask you this before. So if you don't want to elaborate on it. No, that's fine. I'm happy to. How this must have traumatized your mother. It did. She spent really, uh, she has been a caretaker for one person after another in our family. When, when I wasn't, when I finally got to a place where I could move out and I started to gain some independence, um, then she ended up moving in with my grandma and grandpa and taking care of both of them full time until they passed away, which my grandma just died last year. So she has been in this role of caretaker for almost 45 plus years. And that's on top of the mothering years. So she is, she was, she tells me, she said, Connie, I had to push everything down in order to make it. I could not let myself feel because the pain that I felt for you as a mother watching you suffer and not being able to do anything about it was so great that if I would have allowed myself to feel it, I wouldn't have been able to take care of you. And so that has ramifications of its own. After you move out of that period, then 
you know, if you spend a lot of your suppressing, it's not like once it's over, it's just hurrah, you know? I mean, this is, this has a lifetime effect on our entire family. And the reality of it is we are going to be dealing with this probably until we die because trauma affects you on such a deep level Mm -hmm. and repeated trauma and years of trauma, because you look at, you have an incident of trauma, but then you're responding to it. And when you respond to trauma, it's typically not in a healthy way. And so that creates more trauma. And so it's just this lifetime now of accepting the fact that things happen that shouldn't have happened and that we have to take each day and use it to continue to try to heal and become better, more complete, whole people. And and it's a family-wide thing that, you know, it's affected. So. Wow. Yeah. Trauma, you have to address it to, to heal. And now that she's Maybe she can have some time for herself now to start processing that, to heal that from the inside, because I can appreciate, you know, you have to function. It's like when my mother uh, lost my dad, she, she just doubled down to raise the three of us. You know, she didn't have a job or anything, but she had to suddenly take care of all of us. And, you know, she, she never had the ability to really get into it and heal, but she did heal with some because we we had a fractured relationship, but we healed together. But since then, mm-hmm. it was through what she suffered by not dealing with it, that the Lord was a, opened my eyes to things I need to deal with in my life. And if we don't deal with them, mm-hmm. they will mm-hmm. affect our bodies. They will have side effects in our bodies. And in yes. some cases, it kills people because it yes. gives them sicknesses and diseases that are terminal, that are, you know, awful. And we can often feel like it's so easy when you're traumatized to just want to blame, to want to look and spend so much time and turn your focus to, well, this should not have happened. And the reality is, is no, it shouldn't have. It wasn't right. It wasn't right. good. But here's the thing. This is what I believe. Stay there. <laughs> this is where I get comfort. I believe that God allowed it. He didn't want it to happen. I don't think that he's happy about it, but he allowed it. And if he allowed it for me, then that is my assurance that there is going to come good from it and that I am going to have him holding my hand as I walk through it. And ultimately it's for a greater purpose than just Connie suffered. And so Mm -hmm. those things allow me to be able to spend some time addressing my feelings of this was wrong. This should not have happened. And to allow myself to grieve that because I lost a lot, you know, and to push past that and say, oh, no, that didn't happen. Just pull up your big girl pants. And no, that's not what I'm saying. No, (laughs) address the pain, but then you allow yourself to go, okay, there's pain, but there's also purpose and purpose is an overused word now. But if you look at the meaning of what purpose is, that is saying that no matter what you go through. No matter what you face, no matter how terrible it is and how alone you stand, there is something in that that is a valuable, life-changing gift. And if you look, you're going to be able to begin to see that. And we like to get out of the discomfort and out of the pain. And, you know, I spent seven years trying to remove myself completely from being 
uh, nuts or having people label me as a crazy person because through my years of trauma, I developed emotional issues that affected me greatly in my relationships with people at church, in my ability to hold a job down, in my marriage, in, in my friend relationships where things would happen and I would blow it. And I would be so embarrassed and riddled with shame. And all of these things came out of living for so long um, with the incorrect diagnosis that I, like I said, trauma creates more trauma that I actually did have problems. And I spent seven years working so hard to distance myself from being nuts. And then all of a sudden, a few months ago, I was doing a Bible study and I was really struggling with just a deep seated feeling of grief and sadness. And I was just telling the Lord, I'm just so tired of trying to have people like me, of trying to have people see me, of trying to have people include me. And he said, honey, stop because I see you and I love you. And you are already the woman I've created you to be. And this struggle that you have, it leads you to me. If you get rid of the struggle, then you won't have this deep relationship with me. And it was just like in that moment, I was able to start accepting that I don't have to distance myself from the struggle, that the goal is not to not be depressed. The goal is not to not be filled with anxiety. The goal is to get through those periods of time holding on to Jesus. And if it's just by barely grabbing on by the skin of my teeth, that's okay. That my struggle is not the thing that disqualifies me, but it's the thing that qualifies me. It's the thing that gives me credibility. I don't need to distance myself from my emotional pain because living and loving Jesus and helping people while I struggle, that really is what's helpful to people that they can see they don't have to get it all together to be of value and of use to themselves, to their families, to their passions, and that the struggle is, it's okay. It's just okay. It's not fun. We wish that it would be different, but it's not. And it's okay to struggle. And you can struggle and succeed and love deeply and be functional all at the same time. You don't have to not struggle. Everybody struggles. And see, there's this facade out there, this lie out there that the perfection and that is is something we can have and something that people strive for, but it's it's a lie. It is nobody's perfect. Everybody struggles. Yes. Life is full of pain. And living how we address it is how we walk through it and walking through it with one another and helping one another and giving hope to one another because we can get beauty from the pain we can get purpose in the pain we can like mine diamonds out of the dirt (laughs) yes and i will say that you know there is nothing that can take away your worth as a person no diagnosis no economic status no family of origin, no disease, no physical attribute, no mental attribute. You have worth simply because you're alive. Amen. Yes. That's my message. (laughs) And if you have problems with your mind, go out and rock those problems with your mind. That's not a trite answer either. It's like, show up, keep showing up, keep going in. 
and you hold your head up high because there's something so beautiful about the person that goes, yes, I struggle, but you can't get rid of me. <laughs> yeah, that's a warrior mindset. You, you called it, you refuse to give up. You, your life would have been so different if you had not gone through that, but you already said how you're, because it's who you, who it's made you to be that you yes. wouldn't change that. But still, I would like you to address for, you know, other parents out there, kids out there that might have gone through, that might have pandas or something or some other misdiagnosis. How, how would you encourage them to, to keep showing up for themselves? Or maybe how could your mom have done something different and not that she did anything wrong? I'm not doing that. I'm just to encourage no, parents I, who yeah. have children now, what can they do? What would you say to them? Well, if they have a child who's suffering with something and they don't know what it is. I would say that it is, for me, it has been so key to realize that doctors are people. They have a degree and they may have certain knowledge that you don't have, but they are not living in your body. They are not living with your child. They are not going through the day-to-day -day struggles. They are in their office and I'm not making a knock on doctors at all. But what I'm saying is you have an insight given to you that exceeds, in my personal opinion, any head knowledge from a doctor because mm -hmm. you are tied to your child or to yourself and you mm -hmm. know what is going on with you. And so when you go to a doctor and you meet with them, really there is very in my mind, very little room for someone to know you for 15 seconds and be able to diagnose you with a lifelong diagnosis that carries with it such massive ramifications, unless it is like you go into the emergency room without a leg and you're bleeding. Well, yes. Okay. But typically you want to, you want to evaluate what they're saying based on if it actually fits with what's going on with you, and if it doesn't, you have to speak up. As a person that did have mental struggles, mental health struggles, it was very difficult for me to be in the office with somebody that I felt was an authority figure and to have anything to say against what they said. And it would often, sadly, there was this, this feeling of um, disrespect if you were to question a physician. But I would say respectfully question, respectfully question, respectfully follow up, do research, write your questions and bring them to your doctor firmly, but consistently. And if they will not budge, then find someone else because your health is your life. Yeah. And sometimes it's an unfortunately difficult thing to swallow where, yes, you have a mental illness. It does exist. You know, mm -hmm. things do exist, but sometimes it's not maybe as bad or as all encompassing, or there's more. Uh, for instance, would be here, I'm going to be 38 in February. When I was 13 years old, a doctor found a tumor on my pituitary. That doctor didn't follow up with that tumor. I had a baby here in July. And after this baby, I got very, very sick. And I started doing research on Dr. Google. And I found out that there is a syndrome called Cushing syndrome, and it comes from a tumor in your pituitary. 
that makes too much cortisol. Well, anyway, very long story short, I have a tumor on my pituitary that's been there for 25 years. I have an MRI up in my closet showing that I have this tumor on my pituitary, but it was never dealt with. And I got so sick after this, my baby that I had in July. And now I'm on this process of learning that I have something called Cushing's disease. And it's a real thing. And it really affects all these different areas in your body. And so it's been kind of this light shining on, huh, okay, well, that makes sense. But again, I had doctors tell me, no, your thyroid's fine. No, everything's fine. And I'm like, okay, no, I am not fine. And they would say, have you tried um, some medicine for depression? Basically, you're nuts. And I would just move on to another physician until I finally found a doctor that took me seriously, began running a battery of tests. And what do you know? I've got another MRI now and the radiologist report that says she's got a tumor on the left side of her pituitary 25 years later. So you have to advocate for yourself, even when they're not listening. You can't run with your tail behind between your legs because they get mean or they threaten to not give you help. You move on. You always be respectful. I think that it's easy to forget when people are unkind to us or they're rude or they don't do what we think that they should to be, to be mean, to be rude, to be never bite the hand that feeds you. You know, a doctor is important. You want to have respect, but respectfulness doesn't mean you're letting them bully you. Right. And it doesn't mean that you're not following through. And, and well, I they would, need to respect you as well. Yes. You deserve respect as a person. I deserve respect yes. as a person. They went yes. to school. They didn't become God. They don't exactly. have a certificate. I'm God. Exactly. And so I'm in charge of everything. No, they, they have knowledge that yes. I don't have, but I have knowledge they don't have. Exactly. And so you want to balance that with putting the right amount of pressure and not letting someone, if, if you know something is not right, then it's not right. And you keep walking forward until you find somebody that will take you seriously. And sometimes that takes a lot of time, but the thing is, it is, takes a lot of courage also. So for yeah, some people, it, they, it's very they might be too scared to do that. So I want to stop my here for a minute and say that. My that trauma was, background makes me so scared to do that. Like yeah. it, it literally, you know, to feel like somebody is telling me I'm nuts. That's so it causes me so much anxiety and I want to shrivel up and die in that moment. But I have to remind myself, no, this is, this is not okay. And then I get my steel backbone and I speak as a, you know, normal functional woman. And it, and again, it's not, I have to be normal to get respect, but it's just, I'm not letting you bully me. I am scared. I don't like the way you're treating me, but I'm not going to let you bully me. And And that's really what it is. Whenever you tell somebody that it's in their head and they don't know what they're talking about and they just need, that's just not, that's not cool. It's not cool. And oftentimes it's literally, it is in your head. It's in the form of a tumor that you missed. (laughs) Or it is in your head because it's Mm -hmm. called psychosomatic, which does not mean imaginary. That means it's a symptom in the body that's caused from something in the brain. Yes, exactly. There's something in the psyche that's that's manifesting in the body. It's a real thing. Yes. I want to pause and say that to anyone who's listening here, you're hearing this psychosomatic is a real thing. And it being in your head could be like a tumor like Connie has. So they told you to stand up, keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. And it took years, but you know, I look back and I think 
had I not done what I did, I would still be a schizophrenic. And you never so, were. I never was. But had I not done what I did, and yes, it took it took 17 years of my life on that front, and it took 25 more with the tumor. You know, like these are massive chunks of time, massive yeah. effects. But still, I can stand here today, and I can say I'm getting better. Yeah. And, and, well, you and, said and, something that I wanna I want to make sure you speak to because someone who heard the beginning, if they don't hear the answer to this, I mean, I would be curious. Going, wait a minute, that she said this, but then she said that, because they sterilized you. Yes. But you said you just had a baby. Yes, I did. Um, so can you connect <laughs> the dots there in however mm -hmm. small or large way you want to? Yes. So, oh, my story is just, it, the Lord has done such amazing things in my life through such suffering. But I met and married my husband, Jerry. We'll be married 12 years this December 18th. And about eight years ago, in the thick of all of my uh, mental turmoil, I felt like I wanted to have a baby. And Jerry has two children from his previous marriage that I have gotten the privilege of stepping in and mothering. A son, Adam, and a daughter, Victoria. And they are the world's best kids. I just can't speak. That's I love them so much. But I felt like I wanted to carry a baby. And I remember feeling such, I, I get emotional thinking about it because shame has been an unwanted friend of mine shame is a side effect of trauma that comes yeah. in and they stole that from you that misdiagnosis and those doctors they stole that from you but everywhere i've gone you know and that's why i'm so passionate about mental health is because people can just be mean if your brain doesn't work right and so i just got this sense of i'm never going to be a mom i'm nuts i'm sterile you know blah 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 and then all of a sudden out of the blue, I had such a strong sense. I want to have a baby. I want to have a baby. And I remember just feeling so riddled with shame and the lies filling my head. You're not a mom. Who, who do you think you are? You're a, you're a freak. You're a loser. You are, you know, you have. And I remember just crying and begging God, please take this desire away. Please take this desire away. And it only grew stronger. And so over the course of the next four years, through again, many, many different doorways and hard, hard pathways. My husband and I journeyed down the pathway of IVF. And in 2018, in actually February of 2018, I was pregnant with twins through IVF. And I was uh, having a very healthy pregnancy at that time. And then at, at 28 weeks pregnant, I got uh, preeclampsia out of nowhere. And it progressed super fast. And um, I almost lost my life three different times in over the course of the next seven weeks. And my son um, actually died from strep B 16 hours after birth um, due to... Um, an incorrect test diagnosis. And the strange thing is, I kind of look at it, um, it's very sombering, but strep took my life as a young child and it was what took my son. Um, and so in uh, October 2nd of 2018, my twins were born. 
and 1.15 that morning, my son died. And then my daughter spent 16 hours or 16 days in the NICU. And I remember thinking to myself, when I left the hospital, I came here with two babies. I've lost one baby and I'm going home with no babies. And so to try and navigate the grief and the joy of the loss and the life, it, it, it's, it's truly, um, it's a, it's a God thing that he's helped me through. And then we in 2019, tried to get pregnant again through, um, it's a type of IVF, but it's called a frozen cycle. So that's taking, um, the little tiny embryo that was made before and it's thawing that embryo. So it's a less invasive, um, procedure, but we did two, uh, frozen cycles and I miscarried both. Um, I miscarried one at 14 weeks and then one didn't go very far at all. And that was absolutely devastating. And I never felt like we were done. I felt like the Lord told me he was going to give me another baby. And so, you know, I had the twins, I lost my son, and then I lost two more. And everyone is saying, you know, look, honey, you know, I think you heard the Lord wrong. I don't think you've got this right. You know, you need to stop while you're ahead. And I just felt like, no, I'm not supposed to stop. I'm supposed to keep going. I know what he promised me. I don't know why all this stuff happened. Other than the fact that if I had not lost my son, I wouldn't know the Lord as deeply as I do. And my story would be a story that says, if you pray enough, and if you do enough things and you have enough faith, you're going to get what you want. So the fact that I could go through what I went through and be able to tell you with full assurance that God is good in spite of those losses, that God keeps his word, that God is um, a safe God to trust and to believe in, that, that, that's way more powerful and way more needed than, oh, if you pray enough, you're going to get what you want. And so in 2020, I decided I was going to go have a reproductive surgery. And so my husband took me to Louisiana and we saw a doctor that redid my tubes that had been sterilized and cut and burned. And he put them back together. Wow. (laughs) They can do that. They can do that. And then in um, October, like around Halloween of 2020, I was pregnant and I had a difficult pregnancy, but a healthy baby girl that was born via emergency C-section this July 16th at 1225. She was the first C-section of the day and she is thriving. She is uh, three months and a week. So her name is Ivy. And she's a blessing and a gift. And I am now finished having children. And I know that um, the Lord restored what the locusts have eaten. He really does restore. And we look at restoring and we think of it as just getting back what we've lost or having, you know, um, joy instead of pain or ease instead of discomfort. But I want to tell you that that's, there's so much more to being restored than just getting good things or having joy or having ease to have the solid foundation that I have now to have the assurance 
that I am loved and protected and that the God of the universe has his hand on me in my life and that I really don't have to be afraid when bad things happen. You don't just get that. Mm -hmm. That is something that is made and is forged. And I will say that it is worth every tear that I've cried to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, no one could ever convince me otherwise that God is so good and that life and all of its troubles and problems, they're real, but the God that I serve, the God that loves me and the God that walks with me is so much bigger than all of those things. And so a story that comes to my mind is after we had lost my son, his name was Jeremiah. I was in the waiting room for, for Eden to get her shots. Um, soon after getting her home, you know, and I was sitting there and I just broke down and I remember sitting in the waiting room and just crying and just telling the Lord in my heart, you promised you'd protect me. And he spoke so clearly to me and he said, Connie, I did protect you. Your view of protection is not my view of protection. Your view of protection says that nothing bad happens. My view of protection says that no matter what happens, I am creating you to be the woman that I have made you to be. And I am seeing every day that he is protecting me and that there is so much good in being who I am not in being the um, Connie that has the great life and all the stories to tell and all of the, because my life is proof that no matter what you go through, you can keep going because there is good for you too. And there is nothing, if you don't let it, there's nothing that can tell you that your life is without purpose or without a reason because you are here, you matter. And you matter to the most important person in the entire universe, and that's God. Mm-hmm. And so there is always a reason to have hope. And there's always a reason to just, you would just hold on to that. I'm not going to give up. I don't know why. I don't know. I'm not going to give up. Don't give up on the dream. Whatever your dream is, whatever the impossible dream is, don't give up on it. Because dreams are given to us by God. And the more impossible the more possible it is because impossible is where he works. He <laughs> loves to give seven children to the barren woman. He <laughs> loves to give a platform to the nut. So don't <laughs> dismiss yourself because you can't and your dream is impossible. Dreams are put there by God. And just because the door is hard to open doesn't mean it's the wrong door. Sometimes you got to put C4 there, you got to blow it up, or you got to dig a tunnel with a spoon underneath. Just because it doesn't turn and open really easy doesn't mean that you're not at the right door. Right. Right. In fact, sometimes the easy door is the one that gets you into trouble. Yes. <laughs> so you're working on a book. I am. Um, are you working on like a memoir? Is that the kind of book you're working on? Oh, I wish I could write one of those, but I don't, I don't have the patience, nor... <laughs> No, what kind um, of book are you working on? It's called Secrets in the Darkness. And it's a book that's going to be a collection of the truth and little stories and um, tidbits of encouragement that the Lord gave me in all manner of seasons of darkness. 
And so it's going to have all of that available just to help and encourage people. And it's going to be filled with my art as well. So yeah, Uh, and I'm looking for it to just be kind of my step into, you know, being an author and have art in there that you could pull out. So I'm hoping to have like some uh, of my pictures in the book that you could pull out and frame and then just some truth that I've learned as I've suffered. Oh, what kind of art do you do? I do all types of things, but my favorite is calligraphy and watercolor. Mm, Wonderful. I didn't know that. What a nice (laughs) little tidbit at the end. Well, how can my audience connect with you? Where, Where can they find you? Well, I am on the web at weedseedsandbeautifulthings.com. And then my podcast is also called Weed Seeds and Beautiful Things. And it airs every Friday on all of your favorite platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Podbean and all of those things. And then on Facebook and Instagram at Weed Seeds and Beautiful Things. That's wonderful. Well, thank you for being with us today. It was thank you so much for having me. And you're just so encouraging. And I just thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I pray blessings on your podcast and on all of your listeners. Thank you. I'll see you in a minute. Okay. Well, that was just fascinating. I was, I didn't even know that Connie was an artist in addition to what she's been through. And that's just so fascinating of what she's been through and the whole pandas thing and multiple kinds of misdiagnosis and medical trauma. And I want to just leave you with this to please show up for yourself. If you're struggling with something, if you're getting a diagnosis and you don't think that's right, or you're going to the doctor and they're saying, there's nothing wrong with you. And if you keep going, but even if, if you find yourself too scared, I just ask you, find a friend, a pastor, a counselor, or someone who will advocate for you because you are not alone. You, are, you don't need to go through whatever you're going through alone. And so please show up for yourself because you matter. So until next time, I'm Danielle Burnock from DanielleBurnock.com. Love yourself from Survive to Thrive at Lady on the Internet who loves you. And I'll see you again soon. Thank you so much for listening to the Victorious Souls podcast. You matter and you are loved. We'd love to connect with you further. So please visit us at daniellebernock.com and grab a copy of Danielle's free audiobook. And remember, only you can change your life. No one can do it for you. <laughs>